0: Welcome to Hancock Talks, your source for insights about life insurance trends and opportunities with a focus on tactics that can help drive your sales. This podcast is for financial professional use only. It is not intended for use with the public. This material is for informational purposes only and is not intended to provide advice. The opinions and views expressed in this podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of John Hancock. Please listen to the important disclosures at the end of this podcast. Now let's get started with your host, Karen Egan.
1: Hello, welcome to Hancock Talks and thanks for being with us today. Today, we're going to explore a framework that can help you avoid stalled deals and client procrastination with the goal of shortening the sales cycle, creating urgency and getting clients to make a decision faster and with less effort. We're joined today by Chuck Hollander, founder of Red Flag Advantage and past president and chairperson of the board of the Forum 400. Chuck has over 25 years of experience in financial services as a top producer, entrepreneur and speaker. Using his experience, insight, and leadership skills, Chuck is going to share the framework that he teaches his clients every day. So Thanks so much for being here with me today, Chuck.
2: Oh, thank you for having me. I'm excited to uh, participate.
1: You know, there's so much that I want to talk about today, but before we start to dive into the tactics that you teach, really and the framework that you use, talk with me a little bit first about your overall philosophy for approaching
2: sales? Uh, That's a good question. The philosophy centered around the idea of sales is about bringing value to your potential customers, bringing value to your potential buyer group. In other words, how are you going to make a difference with this prospect? So it's not about selling. It's not about communicating the benefits of what you have to offer. It's about helping that prospective buyer navigate change, change from where they are, what they're currently doing to where they could be. In other words, understanding what their goals are, what they're looking to achieve, what's getting in the way of achieving those goals, and how are you going to help them overcome that? So it's about navigating change and making a difference. It's not about selling in the traditional sense.
1: Well, you know, many of our listeners, I'm sure, have been in a situation where they've identified a problem, right, or they've offered a, you know, a sound solution to a client need, only to have the client fail to really take any type of action. So, as you see it, is that, you know, is that just the cost of doing business, where sales at the end of the day are, are just a numbers game, or in your experience? Is there something you see that top salespeople do, you know, on a regular basis that ends up resulting in more of their clients taking action?
2: Let's take the first question. Is it a numbers game? Absolutely not. Sales is not a numbers game. And if you look at it as a numbers game, it's nothing more than an oversimplification of how clients buy products and services, how people make a decision for change. It's not a numbers game. It's not win some, lose some. So stalled deals, when a client is presenting a perfectly sound solution or given recommendations and they don't take action, it's highly predictable. Without understanding why that happens, it will be a numbers game to those folks. So your second question, are there things that top sales professionals do that the average park bears don't do? Absolutely. They introduce their work through the problems that they solve. They don't introduce their work through the benefits of their products and services, the benefits of working with your firm, or the benefits of owning, for example, life insurance. They introduce their work through the unique sets of problems that they help their clients overcome in order to better achieve outcomes and better achieve their goals. Does that make sense?
1: Completely. So, Tell us about this framework that you use. What specifically do you do that helps drive those positive outcomes You know, within the sales process?
2: Well, the framework is rooted into how we as human beings, how you and I and everyone else makes decisions. Not any decision, but decisions towards change. Write that down. Decisions towards change. And the reason why I've rooted it in that is because that's built into our DNA. We're wired that way before we put our little feet and little paws on the planet. And how we make decisions towards change is predictable. So if I can link how we make decisions towards change to our sales and marketing activities, then I can make our sales and marketing activities equally as predictable. So the system, the framework is rooted in how we make decisions, decisions evolve over time, we're satisfied, and then we become aware of something that's not working so well as something that's broken, something that's inefficient, something that's outdated, something that's getting in the way and serving as a roadblock to what we're looking to achieve. Okay. And once we become aware of that, again, needs evolve over time. That issue may become greater of staying the same than it is to change. In other words, what's the cost? What's the consequence? What's the risk? What's the impact if we stay status quo? What's the impact if we don't change? Now, if the impact in our brain calculates that and it's too big to stay the same, then we move into the next stage of making this decision do we want to fix this or not. It's that simple. Now, when you link it to sales and you understand this, that becomes your playbook. And it's not a manipulative playbook. It's all about them and how they make decisions towards change. So once they decide that the cost, consequence, or risk or the impact of staying the same is too great, they move to this decision of fix, yes or no. And if you cross that fix line, then you move into options. What are the options? What are the alternatives to what I'm currently doing? Does that make sense?
1: It does. It does. And so hope for our listeners is what's the visual, you know, I've heard you talk about a compass, explain that and what this compass looks like.
2: Ah, great. Because the visual allows you to see your sales and marketing activities in real time. This visual that I'm about to share with you allows you to prepare. It allows you to even debrief and analyze what you just did. So it allows you to see things that you never were able to see before. Sales is dynamic. Client acquisition is dynamic. So, the visual is this. If you have a pen or a pencil and a piece of paper, and if you don't, it's okay. I want you to draw or visualize a circle. And up at the 12 o'clock position, write the word satisfied. And at the three o'clock position, I want you to write the word aware. At the six o'clock position, write the word fix. And at the nine o'clock position, I want you to write the word options. There's only four points on that compass satisfied, aware, fix, or options. And that is the entire system. First, I want you to look at that or visualize it. That's how we make decisions as human beings. We're satisfied with some aspect in our lives. Then we become aware of an issue. Then we decide whether we want to fix it or not and improve our situation. And if we do, then we move into options. That's how it is. So that's the visual. While you've got the vigil on your paper or your mind, let's use this real quick. This is how we hijack how we make decisions. As soon as we see a potential prospect or client aware of an issue, maybe their buy-sell agreement's underfunded. Maybe their family's not completely insured. As soon as we see that they're undersured at three o'clock, aware, we put our cape on and we fly over to nine o'clock to save the day. Right. And what do That's we do? Right to we present solution. We <laughs> present how life insurance can help this family or business owner. Right. And think about this. Keep the visual. We're presenting a perfectly sound solution to a family or a business owner in that case who hasn't even decided that they want to fix it or fix not. Anything. Why? Because right. we skipped the six o'clock position. There's no wonder the thing gets stalled. Does that mm-hmm. make sense? Totally.
1: All right. So you talk about this point in time where there's this probability, right, of the sale when it's at its highest. So offer some insights into us about that and when that happens and why, you know, why it's so important for all of us as salespeople to really identify that specific point that's critical. Yeah,
2: Yeah. so all our research, now I've been doing selling life insurance for over 30 years and I was mentored by one of the industry icons, Sid Friedman, and for the past 10 years, You know, I created this company called Red Flag, and now we teach what I use, the compass methodology. I want you to think about this. From the time someone meets you to the time they decide to work with you, there's a point in time in every single sale. I don't really care what you're selling. There's a point in time in every sale where the probability that deal is moving forward is at its absolute highest. Top salespeople identify that point in time. If you miss that point in time, you present too early or too late, you'll compromise a perfectly good selling opportunity. And most likely you'll create a stalled deal. That point in time, go back to the visual, go back to the compass, is precisely at six o'clock. It's that point in time when they're, they're no longer aware of the cost or consequence of status quo They're not aware. Write this down. They acknowledge. They've moved from aware to acknowledging the cost, the consequence, the risk, the impact to their family, their business, the impact to their retirement, the impact to their future, to their kids. They recognize the cost, consequence, and risk is too great to stay status quo. That is that point in time. It's six o'clock on the compass. Does that make sense? Yep. Absolutely, and top salespeople discern the difference. They're looking for that point in time.
1: What do you feel are the reasons why clients decide not to act? You know, what are some of the warning signs for us to be aware of and, and really get ahead of?
2: Yeah, well, there there could be a million reasons why mm-hmm. a client doesn't take action. We've learned that there are patterns, though. When we present. When we're over at nine o'clock and we present our advice or we present our recommendations and the client and assuming the client, there's a real need. We're not just selling stuff. We're presenting solutions to clients in need, prospective clients in need, and they don't take action. There's only two reasons. And if you want to fix those two reasons, you want to unlock that stall deal. You need to know what the two reasons are. Go back to the compass before I explain the two reasons. Quadrant one is between 12 and three o'clock, satisfied and aware. Quadrant two is between three and six o'clock, between aware and fix. And quadrant three is between six and nine. So I've taken the entire sales cycle from the time they meet you to the time they decide to work with you. Two weeks, two months, two quarters, two years. I don't care how long it is. There are three phases and only three phases and we call them quadrant one, two, and three. So if they do not take action, it's because either are two reasons. The first reason they don't see the problem being big enough to fix. And we've presented a solution to someone who had a problem, but they don't see it big enough to fix stall deal. Or the second reason is they don't believe what you're recommending will work. Now they're not the same and top salespeople can discern the difference between these two buyers. One doesn't see the problem being big enough to fix. They are either in quadrant one or two. They have not crossed six o'clock. Six o'clock you cross because you've decided consciously or subconsciously that you want to fix it. Now, the other buyer, they do want to fix it. Here's the difference. They do want to fix it. They just don't believe what you're showing is going to work. Maybe mm-hmm. you've overcomplicated it. Maybe you shoot them premium finance, and they've never borrowed anything, any money in their life. Everything's bought, paid for. Right. And understanding where they are on the compass determines your conversation.
1: Yeah.
2: And determines how you're going to fix that.
1: Right. Does that so. Make sense? Yeah, it, it does. It completely makes. Karen, sense. Karen
2: selling I mean, and getting yeah. new clients does not need to be that difficult. And I'm right. not
1: a smart, aleck. Right. It you got me thinking about if I'm in this client interaction, what are those signals that I know they're at six o'clock? They're ready, right, to move. Are they saying, you know, listening to them? Are, you know, do you stop long enough, right, as salespeople to just listen when they start asking, well, how do I fix this? What type of solutions are other clients looking at, taking advantage of? What are some of those things that we should be aware of whether it's their body language, affirmations.
2: Listen, I, my, my friend, Joe Navarro, look him up. Joe's got 40 million hits on his YouTube channel. Joe is one of the world's foremost authorities on human psychology and, and nonverbal communication. He could answer that question, but we're not Joe Navarro. We can't look at how someone touches their ear or f- touches their collar or runs their fingers through their hair and understand what that means. So I coach my people, the clients that we work with, don't look for body language. It's easy. Just say, how big of a problem is this? In the grand scheme of things, Karen, how does this fit in? There's no way this is the only thing on your plate. What kind of impact would this have on your retirement? I'm having a dialogue with you. you right. Remember, I said in the beginning of our podcast, if you want to understand the philosophy, stop selling get in the mindset of helping people navigate change. So it's your Mm -hmm. responsibility to understand where Karen is in this whole thing. Karen, how does this fit in? Right. What kind of impact would this have? So it's a dialogue. It's literally a conversation. Yeah. So I don't coach on body language because it's hard and it takes years to master that stuff. I don't look for buying signals. I Mm -hmm. mean, I do, but if I want to teach you, the first and foremost, teach to have open, candid, and transparent conversations. Your job is to navigate change. That means you ask, how does this fit in? Sure. Karen, you know, let me this ask you a question. End. What if life insurance didn't exist? Now what would you do? When you have those discussions, mm-hmm. I'm not now guessing whether this is Karen's down on this or not. Does that make sense? Yes. Yes. Navigate change. That's my pro tip.
1: Well, so this has been so impactful. Let's do this. Let's go through, let's just go through an example of a producer kind of using the framework in an actual case. I think that'll kind of root everybody in this approach.
2: Let's give an example of the producer not using it. Oh, okay. Because the reason why I do that, it's easy to demonstrate using it. Now that you have the compass, the beauty of the compass, it allows you to see errors and mistakes so you can avoid them. And this whole podcast is about creating better outcomes, creating urgency, creating value for clients. So if you want to improve that, the best way to do it is to be able to see what you're doing. So let me give you an example of where the producer went wrong. There's a big producer. They understand Life insurance. They do about two and a half million dollars of personal income selling life insurance. They're experienced, they understand the business, and even the best make this mistake. So, this is a mistake of jumping the compass. There are three buying truths to better understand the compass in the, the case study I'll share with you. Number one, people fix big problems, they don't fix small ones. Number two, when given a choice, People will fix a problem before they'll pursue an opportunity. Number three, people do not need to understand how we're going to go about fixing things before they're capable of deciding whether they got a problem or not. So with those buying truths, let me share the example. This big producer says, Oh, Chuck, what would you do? Kind of a smart aleck way. And because I had just gotten introduced to him and um, someone said, Chuck, works with some of our top producers, helping them better understand why stalled deals and client procrastination happens. And the producer goes, oh, I got a case. What would you do, Chuck? I said, well, tell me about the case. He goes, I got a friend, Ronnie. And every time I meet him at the club and he puffs his chest out and emphasizes the club, he says, I ask him at the end of our round, I ask him over lunch, if there was $10 million on the ground, would you pick it up? I said, well, what's your friend say? He always says, yes. And he says, then I correlated that to life insurance. And I said, well, how does he respond to that? And he hasn't bought any. And he goes, what would you do? And I'd say, well, I'd probably stop doing that. He goes, why? I said, because it's not working. I said, listen, he, and then he interrupts. He goes, Oh, and by the way, my friend's worth $300 million. <laughs> and then he adds this. And by the way, He doesn't own any life insurance. And I said, see, there you go. I said, you violated two fundamental principles. Number one, people fix big problems. They don't fix small ones. He doesn't see what you're presenting. A solution to is a big problem. Number two, when given a choice, people will fix a problem before pursuing an opportunity. And you're showing him the opportunity, the advantages of owning life insurance. And you're bastardizing a perfectly sound product to somebody who's in need of it. I said, think about this. Clients fix big problems. They don't fix small ones. And when given a choice, they'll fix a problem before pursuing an opportunity. You're showing an opportunity to own life insurance by asking him if there was $10 million on the ground, would you pick it up? If every time your friend stopped and stopped doing what he was doing, Each time someone said, I can make you 10 million bucks, he wouldn't have 300 million in the bank. All you are doing is showing him nothing more than a good idea. He doesn't need good ideas. And owning life insurance is nothing more than a good idea. That's why he keeps saying no. What he needs is a solution to overcome problems that are getting in the way of what he wants. So what does your client want? And he goes, he wants what everybody else wants. He wants to reduce taxes. And I said, I don't even need to know your friend to know that that's not what Ronnie wants. He goes, yeah, it is. I said, I'm telling you, I've been doing this a long time. Taxes are a problem. It's not a goal. Why does Ronnie want to reduce taxes? And he goes, well, his daughter wants to run his business. His daughter just got her MBA and wants to run the business. Ah, so that's what really Ronnie wants. Ronnie doesn't want to lose his business to taxes and steal his daughter's dream. So when you present life insurance as a solution to overcome a problem, taxes, that's getting in the way of what he wants to protect his daughter's dream, now life insurance is no longer just a good idea. Life insurance becomes a solution to overcome that problem It's getting in the way of what he wants. And all you've been doing is showing it as nothing more than a good idea. Here's my pro tip. When you're presenting life insurance, are you presenting it as a good idea? Is your advice turning into a good idea? Or is your advice becoming a solution that's overcoming a problem that's getting in the way of what the clients want? Know what the client wants and discern the difference between problems and what a client's looking to achieve. Does that make sense?
1: Yes. Well, look, you've given us some really great tips, some really good tangible, you know, ideas. If our listeners want to, you know, learn more, which I'm sure they're going to, and want to be able to get some more information, how do they do that? Where would they go to find that?
2: They can go to my website and there's links there to actually set up a time to to chat. And my website is red flag advantage.com red flag advantage.com.
1: All right. Well, easy enough. Chuck cannot thank you enough for spending the time with me today. I have thoroughly enjoyed our interaction. So thank you.
2: Uh, This is awesome. It's my pleasure. And and you guys are doing such a good job out there. And so I was proud and pleased to uh, spend time with you on, on your podcast. Thank you.
1: Let's wrap up with the Marketing Minute segment of the show. With us today is Carly Brooks, who leads our Advanced Markets Group. Welcome back, Carly. Great to be back, Karen. Thanks for having me. So we covered a lot today with Chuck. Will you share your feedback on Chuck's comments and how that ties into the work that you and your team do? Well, I don't know about you,
3: Karen, but I learned a lot on this show and I plan to take that back to my team and how we work with producers and other financial professionals. As you know, so much that we focus on in advanced markets is concept-driven. And as Chuck pointed out, there's really good viable solutions that we can offer our clients. But we really need to find out what's driving the client and what their goals are before we can offer those solutions to overcome whatever those roadblocks to achieving the goals are.
1: Yeah, exactly, right. It's all in that discovery phase. So expand on that a little bit for us and maybe share an example of how Chuck's approach has helped you.
3: Of course, it's interesting. So as we were preparing for the show today, Chuck and I were talking and he had asked me, what are some things that you're talking about right now? What are you seeing in advanced markets? And I mentioned how tax planning is really front of mind for many high net worth clients, particularly estate tax planning, transfer tax planning, and using exemptions before we could potentially see them reduced. We've talked about that a lot on prior shows. And you know, as we know, it is timely, but Chuck challenged me to see things differently. As Chuck said, taxes are not a goal, they're a roadblock to a goal. And that made a light bulb go off for me. So a goal is things like ensuring my children and my grandchildren can receive an equitable inheritance or that my favorite charity is supported or keeping a beloved family vacation home in the family. Taxes, as we know, can certainly disrupt those goals, but it's typically not what's driving the client to plan. So once you understand what's important to the client, that's when we can be super helpful in crafting those solutions. And I I just thought that was a really interesting takeaway.
1: Yeah, that is great. What resources in advanced markets do you feel people could leverage to support what we talked about today?
3: Of course. So as Chuck clearly pointed out, you can't go straight to the proposal or to the solution without understanding the client's objectives. And one thing that I've been finding too is why some clients hesitate to plan. It often comes down to a combination of the client's age, the assets they own, or their overall attitude towards planning. And I've been calling this the triple A approach. So age, assets, and attitude being the three A's that can sometimes keep clients on the fence from planning. And I think all of these factors play into the client's goal and is ultimately behind what motivates them to plan. And we have a blog that we just released that discusses the AAA and ties into a lot of the themes that Chuck covered today. So I would say that's a really good resource for our listeners to check out. Of course, beyond that, once you're ready to offer solutions, we have a huge abundance of tools and resources. Of course, we have our team of highly experienced attorneys and consultants. We're always here to help with case design and case consultation and happy to be a resource to you as you look to offer those solutions to your clients.
1: All right. That's wonderful. Well, thanks again for sharing the resources and some of your personal experience with applying what Chuck shared today. And as always, great to have you. Great to be here. Thanks for having me, Karen. And we appreciate you joining us for this episode of Hancock Talks. For more resources on today's topic, as well as access to more information about how to grow your insurance business, visit jhsaleshub.com. And don't forget to download and subscribe to the show on iTunes to get new episodes as they become available. Thanks for listening.
0: This material does not constitute tax, legal, investment, or accounting advice and is not intended for use by a taxpayer for the purpose of avoiding any IRS penalty. Comments on taxation are based on tax law current as of the time we produce the material. Life insurance products are issued by John Hancock Life Insurance Company, USA, Boston, Mass. 02116, not licensed in New York, and John Hancock Life Insurance Company of New York, Valhalla, New York, 10595. This recorded material may have been recorded to support the promotion or marketing of the topics addressed in this recorded material. Individuals interested in the topics discussed should consult with their professional advisors to examine legal, tax, account- or financial aspects of these topics, MLINY 0326-21906-1.